0: as your church, in need of you, in need of your grace and mercy in just so many areas of our life. We pray that you would pour those things out to us in the measure that we need them. Pour your grace out, pour your mercy, pour your love out to us, God. That we would give us, give us hearts and, and eyes and ears to see and to receive those things from you. Because you are so generous with them. We thank you and we love you. Pray this morning, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so I think we're going to end our six weeks of uh, talking about missions. At least that's the plan. I'm not one to plan out my sermons or teachings way in advance. Um, usually I'm, I'm planning out just a few days in advance. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I, re- I have a friend who, he knows, he knows book, chapter, and verses almost for six, eight months. Sometimes, I, I saw his calendar once, he had his whole sermon series planned out for a year. And I really wanted to do that. And I have, I just can't do that. I mean, sometimes I get two weeks in a row. Like, I'm ready for two weeks in a row, and then, yeah, not so much. But that's just me. So so at this point, I believe we're going to kind of end it. Uh, we're going to end it with this teaching, the culmination of all our teachings, I hope. And so... You know, we, we started this thing off because I really felt the Lord calling his church back to a place of being on mission. Not necessarily doing missions, but that's, that should be a consequence of being on mission. But, but having something that's rooted in our hearts, rooted in our DNA as a community, and even, even as individuals, God's people, that we would have this idea of being on mission as a philosophy of life as a philosophy of ministry, as a philosophy of our church. And so we began in Ecclesiastes, and we, and, and we looked at a verse in Ecclesiastes that said that, that God has gifted each and every person with a very certain thing that he puts inside of our hearts. And that's the idea of eternity. Every person. It doesn't matter what you believe it doesn't matter what religion you, you um, ascribe to. It doesn't matter if you're just, you say, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in anything at all. God puts this idea of, etern- or gives us the gift of eternity in each and every person's heart. And maybe we can sum it up simply as this. It's, it's that thing in you that tells you there's, there's something more. There's, there's something more than, than all of this. There's something more to life. And and sometimes you feel like you just don't get it and and you're missing it. There's that something more longing in you. And it kind of pushes us and it pulls us and it moves us in different directions to look for the something more. I believe it's, it's our homing device that God puts in us so that it would lead us to him through Jesus Christ. Some people... Some people find that path, some people ignore that path, and they look to the world to fulfill that longing, to look for things and for stuff and for the next big thing, and they seem to come up just a little bit short on filling that desire. I'm here to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ can begin to fulfill the longing that you cannot explain In your heart, in everyone's heart. And that's the beginning of mission to understand that everybody has that sense in them. And then we moved on to the idea that the only thing that really makes us different from all the rest of the people in the world is the manifest presence of God with us. That we can experience the presence of God together as a community and as individuals in our lives. In your everyday life, you can experience the presence of God, of the Creator of everything. It's His desire that you would, you would understand that and be open to seeing that and walking with Him. And then we went into the idea that uh, Jesus is Lord simple words, Jesus is Lord. And that we were called to make him maybe make him is not such a, a good word. We're called to surrender ourselves over to him and allow him to be Lord of everything. Everything in your life, every every thought, everything that you do. Um, Lord, before you're a husband, Lord, before you're a wife, Lord, before you're a student, a child, whatever it is, Jesus is Lord. And so he said, those are kind of the fundamentals, the foundations of a people that are on mission. Those are the things that we really have to get a hold of if we were going to bring this message of Christ out into the world. First, to understand that everybody is longing for something, something different, something more, and they can't explain. And that what, only thing that the only thing that makes us different is that we can experience the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And then we're a church that we have to begin to surrender ourselves over and allow Jesus to be Lord, Lord of everything, Lord of all. And then we chatted about, I, I, made, this, I made this claim, I, I taught about this idea that church is not the final destination. We don't go out and share the gospel, share God, share Jesus, to make people Oasians. To get them to come to our church, we go out to share the gospel, so they can understand who Christ is, and through Christ, they can come to know God. God is the destination. Church is just the connection of people where they come. We can we can come together and be encouraged by each other. But then, man, you got to get out of here. I don't want you here all week. I'm serious. That's not funny. God calls us out. And we said, well, well let's, let's shoot evangelism and put it, put it to bed. And let's become a, a, a church, a people blessing. Let's bless people. Like, they, like, like uh, God told uh, the exiles in Jeremiah 29, seek and pray for the prosperity of the land that you are exiled in. Don't go back wanting the way things were. Don't go back to just the good old days. I wish we had the good old days, but, but live and embrace the now with, with God-given passion and prayer, and do something to bless people. And the last week last week, we talked about rhythm. And you don't have to Sandy already yelled at me, it was too loud. I don't apologize. That's just too bad. I like loud. Don't you like loud? But I got yelled at. Look at Sandy's going. Mm-hmm, it was too loud. Mm-hmm. Jack, though, I have to apologize to Jack because it was kind of loud for him sitting right up in the front. Um, but we talked about rhythm. And you know what? Most of you, if I were to, if I was a betting man, and, and I'm not really a betting man because it's more of a donation for me. Any time I've ever bet. Um, but if I was a betting man, I bet you most of you are out of rhythm. Most of you are out of rhythm in life. And it's such an important thing to be in rhythm, to celebrate the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about life and living, to find rhythm in your everyday life. I mean, how how can you bless people? How can you give them and pour them, pour your life into them when you have very little life to give? And I challenge you, I challenge you to make music and not noise. That your life would be about making music and finding rhythm and not about noise. And so this morning, the way I want to finish up, I want to finish up this whole series with a story that everybody kind of knows, everybody's heard if you've if you read the Bible, if you've been around church for a while. It's a story in the Gospel of Luke, and it's about Jesus. And he decides he's going to send 72 people out He says, hey, I want you to go out, and I want you to do some stuff. I want you to head out there, and I want you to take care of some business. Go before me, and before me where the places I'm going to go. I'll eventually get there, but I want you to go first, and you'll find the story if you have your Bibles in Luke chapter 10. And I will read, and this is where I really wish I had my glasses. Like, everybody's like, whoa! No, those are cheaters. I have special oh. progressives. Let me see. Let's see. Is there schmutz on them? No? That's just too weird. My arms are still just long enough. Okay, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, we're going to read. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him, to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town, you are not welcome. Go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And so it's a pretty popular story that we have read over and over. 72, Jesus hanging out. He says, all right, guys, you got to go. Two by two, head out. See what you can do. I want you to go to, to towns, different towns. I want you to enter into people's lives Remember when we looked at the passage in Jeremiah 29 a few weeks ago, God told the people that they are going to, they're supposed to pray for and and seek the goodness and the prosperity for the people, for the city they lived in as exiles, okay? This is counterintuitive uh, for for people. You you don't you don't pray for the good of the people who have captured you and brought you out of your own land and put you into exile. You pray what you pray for is that God is going to do something to get you out of that and to get you back home. But God tells them no. I want you to just hunker down, start living life and pray for these people. See, God is telling them in that story that they can begin to rediscover who they are as God's people by living in a place where they thought God was never going to be. God tells them, pray, seek the prosperity of those people. And I believe that God calls his church through the Holy Spirit that we would do the same. Now we have to remember the gospel. Sometimes I think we look at the gospels as... um, some people went up to these guys and say, hey, listen, we're putting together a book. It's kind of a history book. We need you to write some stuff about Jesus so we can put it together in this book that, you know, thousands of years from now, this bald guy is going to stand up and they're going to preach from. That's not the way it was. See, Luke wanted to write to people, real people like you and I, to understand Jesus stuff. And what Luke, who Luke is writing to are almost by now second generation Christians. And they have become discouraged. They're discouraged in the way the the social climate of their day is taking place and playing out. They're discouraged in the way that the political environment is kind of playing out. Maybe some of you can, can relate to that in 2012. See, living the Jesus life kind of became difficult. And it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't as easy as they thought it was. And not only just to live it out, but, to, but to, 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 uh, to define what it really was. And then to go out and actually share the gospel and share Jesus with people. They were having a difficult time. And so Luke writes them this big, long story about the life of Jesus and the things that Jesus did, how Jesus lived, the things that Jesus thought was important. And I find in this text, Luke 10, 1 through 12, that Jesus uh, that Luke wants to remind them something that's important that was important to Christ. And I believe he wants us to get a hold of this. It's a reminder for us. And it's this very simple truth. A deliberate way to see what God is up to. A deliberate way to see What God is up to is to enter into life with people. Simple as that. I mean, people out there, you know, the potty mouth people, the people that you normally wouldn't, you know, associate yourself with, those people, people that don't go to church. If you want to see what God is up to, he wants us to enter into their life. People of the communities that we live in, people of our neighborhoods, and that we would take time to listen to their stories, listen to their life, and love them. And to actually love them. Love them without trying to sell them something. Love them without trying to get them to understand that they are wrong and we are right. Love them, love them without an agenda. Because love with an agenda is not really love. Love them without the assumption that you already know what they need going in. Love them without the assumption that you know exactly what they need from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a very simple truth that I think the church sometimes we shy away from. We don't like to get our clothes dirty out there. No one likes to smell like cigarette smoke, right? Get over it. I mean, that's so rough. I'm not trying to do away with church. I said that a few weeks ago. Here's what I believe about church here: church. The gathering of the saints is very, very important because we are who we are as individuals by some of the things that we come together as a community and take part in. We are who we are because of the things that we do in our Christian life and some of the things that we do in our Christian life revolve around the gathering of the saints, revolves around church. And that's a good thing. Sacred things take place among us. We worship God. We worship the creator of all things. We pray for people. That's a very sacred thing. We enter into communion. The table that Jesus gave us to remember Him. We baptize people. And though we might baptize them in a pool, there's nothing less sacred than a a believer coming to the point to tell the community, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I want people to know it. Those are sacred things. And we dig into the Bible, this this text, and we try to unpack it the best we can and apply it to our lives. These are the things that take place here in this community and they're important and they're holy and they're sacred. And there's a need and a place for them. But what I see Jesus doing here is he is sending out people into a new reality into something new, not to replace anything, but to come alongside and to complement it. And if we can get to that place in our own lives, allow ourselves to go there, our assumptions of what God is doing is going to be challenged. What we believe God is doing when we get out there Those assumptions will be challenged, but it also gives the church opportunities to be the people of God in new and creative and relevant ways. The message, the message is always the same. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That's the message He died and he rose from the dead in three days, that he would overcome death. That's the message, that you can be forgiven of everything, past, present, and even future, by placing your faith in Christ. That's the message, but the way people are receiving that message changes As cultures change, as society changes, as the times change, to be received in different cultures, you actually have to do different things. When Mike and I, we went to Africa and we stayed with the Messiah, we were, even though we were with Maura and William, the missionaries, who have a very strong relationship with them over years and years and years of living with them, Mike and I were the outsiders. And they didn't trust us right off the bat. We had to bring them gifts we had to bring them goats. Imagine, imagine going to someone's house and saying, I want you to trust me, here's a goat. It, it doesn't work in our culture, but we had to show that we were not there to take from them, but we actually wanted to give to them. And it took almost a, a day and a half, almost two days, before Mora, the, the missionary that we were with, and you met Mora here, Mora said, now, now you can take your camera out and you can take pictures. Because they wouldn't even trust us to take their picture. The message is always the same, but cultures are different. And the way we present that message has to ebb and flow and change and become relevant for that specific situation we're in. And you see, if we look at this I almost pointed up there, it's not there. Oh. If we look at the story, if we look at the story, this is not evangelism one oh one anymore. This is not some program that Jesus is trying to initiate. Jesus is telling these people to go into the towns, go into neighborhoods, go to people, go into families, and be willing to enter in as a stranger. That you would be willing to enter in as a stranger in need of their hospitality. Which means that you let go of your sense of power position. That you let go of that. I'm coming to save them. And they need me obviously more than. I need them. And if we can get a hold of, of that attitude. The kingdom of God and the message. Can be communicated. And received. In very different ways. Very different ways. It opens this. This two-way dialogue with people. A back and forth about life and fears and, and aspirations and goals. And you, and you sit there and you listen and you chat and you talk and, and, you, and you just learn. And all of a sudden, all of those, those churchy questions that we all have been brought up with, they just kind of fall to the wayside. Hey, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? I mean, that's not such a bad question. That should not be your Opener. All right. And Jesus is telling them, it's not you just popping in, grabbing a quick cup of coffee, asking a few questions, hey, how you doing? Get them, say a prayer. Hey, you gotta go. That's it's not that at all. He tells them, Don't don't jump from place to place, but stay. And so church just doesn't become about us in here. Church begins to become us out there, out with other people, out with people that we might not know. Church becomes around the dinner table. You know, the dinner table back in Jesus' day was something very different than from what it is today. Back then, the dinner table... A family came, an extended family came, and you sat for hours, and you talked, and you ate, and you debated, and you argued, and you celebrated, and you loved on each other. It was, it was, a, it was a long, long process. And, and you know, the only thing I can, I was trying to think of, what, what do we have? I mean, I mean, because our dinner table, even in our house, when we squeeze in those nights where we're all together for dinner, and my kids are still young, so I can imagine what it's like for families that have older children. But when we squeeze in those nights when we have dinner together, it's, it's pretty quick. Bing, bang, boom, let's eat. Usually I'm up, the kids are up, Sandy's going, oh, I'm supposed to be eating by myself here? Thank you, God. I, I hear you. I don't know. I fixed it. You can you turn it back up? Good. And so we're quick. To get off the table. So I thought, what, what's the closest thing we have? And I would say the closest thing that we have is, you know, when you go out to coffee with someone. And you sit there for a while. And you chat. And you talk. And there's really not a lot of agenda going on. And there's not a lot of, you know, you're not looking at your watch. You know, you're not thinking about what you have to do. But you're present with that person. Or when you go to, I mean, none of you would go, but I heard that people go to these places called pubs and you sit there for a while and, and, and you chat with people and you just talk and you're not in a rush and you actually calm down and you chillax a little bit and you have conversation. That was the table back then. That's how they celebrated. And we just, we just don't get that. We don't understand that. And Jesus tells them in the story, don't take anything with you. Don't take an extra pair of sandals, don't take your money, don't take, don't take anything, because I believe that he wants to make sure that they have to rely on the hospitality of others, that they come into this thing as a stranger would come in and rely on the hospitality of others. See, the church begins to receive from them, which is very, very humbling. It's a very humbling posture. And I have this strong sense that um, they're not just they're supposed to stay for a period of time. They're not just supposed to jump around. They're they're Jesus is kind of encouraging them to become part of the, the family fabric, to be, become part of their, their social, maybe their, their even their economic rhythms of the household, become part of their life. Enter into their family, uh, not on your terms, but on their terms. He tells them, whatever they give you to eat, just eat. Oh, Jesus, but it's not kosher or, you know, I don't like that. I'm a vegetarian. I'm not going to eat lamb. I mean, fish maybe, but Jesus tells them, don't enter in with your preset way that this is going to this is going to flesh out. You enter in as a stranger in need of their hospitality, and you... Eat what they give you and stay put. Don't be jumping around. Don't look for that perfect family who kind of meshes with you, you know, the ones that you can get along with, the ones that, you know, you just feel really, really comfortable with them because, you know, they like you and you like them. Jesus goes, listen, if if they receive your peace, stay there. If you bring peace into their house and they go, sounds good to me, stay there. Stay with them. God is calling us to hunker down. To hunker down and and make a commitment to being with people. Make a commitment with being with people. Hit and run doesn't work. Track sniping doesn't work. You have no idea what that means, and that's okay. I do, and that's what's important. And we will never track snipe in our church. Track snipe. You know, when you have those little tracks and go, wow, and then you walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just kind of let them sit there with it, you know. And then if you died tonight, where would you go? That's, that's their opener. Not that I'm against those, but I just, you know, i just not in favor of them. Um, where was I? I believe, and I'm believing with all my heart more and more, that God is calling his church to be Luke 10 people, to practice being strangers, to practice being the guest, not only in just our surroundings, but actually in our Our internal posture that we would be guests. You know, to be a guest means you are not in control. To be a guest in someone's home, you are no longer in control. They are. And it's a very humbling experience to walk into someone's home as Jesus is telling them to do. They are no longer in control of everything. They are in need of hospitality, the things that are going to be given to them because they are the stranger. And so, you know, you have to think about, well, what does this look like for us in our culture? I mean, we just can't go walking into somebody's home and say, surprise, I'm here. But maybe we can say it this way, that we would be willing to get out of our comfort zones, come out of our churches, come out of our own homes, and we would begin to do life together with other people. Come alongside them in their lives. People that are different than us. People that believe differently than us. People that uh, speak differently than we do. That have different jobs, different moralities, different values. And not... And, and, and stay put and, and don't try to jump ship as soon as something gets a little uncomfortable. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to engage into sinful practices and sinful lifestyles. Please don't hear that at all. What I'm telling us is that we can live as Jesus lived among very different people and bring them Christ by the example of our lives. That we would enter in as strangers. And we can begin, we can begin that process by learning to listen to people. Learning to listen to people instead of making them objects that we have to conquer. Now, we would never say we're conquering anybody. We like to say in the evangelical world, I'm just trying to get them saved. We're looking to conquer people. Get them to be like, a, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I believe the gospel is a powerful, powerful. Uh, it's it's words of life, and the gospel brings life. But we have to get rid of our conquer mentality, and come in as as a stranger. Be willing to enter in and listen and hear their stories, and come alongside them. And, and, and learn their language and just treat them like fellow human beings. Are you ready not to be in control of the conversation and just become part of the conversation? I see something else in this story. Jesus is, Jesus mentioned this, that, a, that a, a worker is worth his wages. And I believe that Christ wants them to go in and begin to work alongside these people. Just like Paul would travel around, the Apostle Paul, and he was a tent maker, and he would find the other tent makers, and he would work, and he would work hard. He didn't want any handouts. Jesus is talking about them to, to go in and, and come alongside them and work with them. And we have to figure out what that looks like in our culture. How do we come alongside people and work with them? How do we come alongside people and help them in the things that, they are, that they're working on? How do we enter into their lives, spending time talking and listening and sharing and being aware and presence with them? How do we do that? What if? I mean, just what if it was just as important to have church here? Or let me say it this way. It's just as important to have church out there as it is to have church in here. Can We begin as God's people to hear what God is up to to see what God is up to you by entering into the lives of others. That we would bring church out into that, that third space. There was a sociologist, I think his name was Olden Oldenburg or something, he ter- uh, coined this term, the third space. In third space, we have our first space, which is our home, and it's a place of, of where we're safe and, and this is our home, and then our second, the second space is kind of your workspace, you know, where you spend a majority of your time, and things are very structured in that place. And then the third space is kind of everything else. It's that place where there's social activity going on. There's it's kind of loosely organized, and people want to be there. They they volunteer to be there. They don't have to be there, and it, and it's around just enjoying and celebrating and laughing and eating and just it's 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 the it's the pub, it's the coffee shop, it's the bookstore. It's those types of places. The third space. Can the church exist in public space? And I believe with all of my heart, yes, it can. And not only can the church exist in those places, the church has to go to those places and walk in like a stranger With that posture of, you know what, I need them to show me hospitality. If we want to find out what God's doing, what he's up to in the world and in the communities and in people's lives, we have to stop asking those questions from inside these walls. We can ask all the questions we want from in here. It's worthless. It's to use my theological um, term from last week, it's dumb. We have to get out of here and enter into life like a person that's on a journey. Enter into life as a stranger who needs hospitality and start walking alongside people. Start understanding them. Start having conversations with them in the context of what it looks like for us in our culture. Yes, maybe we don't go into somebody's house and say, I need hospitality, but there are things that we can do and we can't just talk about it in here. Go try something. If it doesn't work, try something else. If you get laughed at, so what? If nobody wants to talk to you, change your approach. It might be you and not just them. That's not the end of the story. See, Jesus isn't talking just about this social thing. Hey, go out and socialize with people and chill out and, you know, just hang out. Jesus tells them, bring peace to those people. Bring healing to those people. Announce to them that the kingdom of God is near Therein lies the good news. Therein lies the gospel. Peace, shalom. It's just such an amazing term, idea that's deep with meaning. It's it's the coming of the rule of God. It's the future that God has for us through Jesus Christ a future of rec, uh, reconciliation and well-being and joy and grace and wholeness, that we would bring peace to these people. When Jesus says, heal the sick, it's just more evidence of the shalom that he's telling these 72 to, to bring into these situations. And we, too, can bring healing. You know, it saddens me, and I'm, and I'm with you, man, but it saddens me that the church, the majority of the church, has lost its faith for the miraculous. And so maybe we can't just go out and heal people like Jesus did, though I think it's in us. The same spirit that was working then is working now. And I believe we have, we, we can do things like that, but for some reason we've lost that faith. But we can still heal in the faith that God has given us. And we can come alongside people in their brokenness. And we can begin to heal things, uh, emotional things, financial things, physical things, spiritual things. The church can be a place of healing out there. And then we're to announce the kingdom of God that's come near you. The kingdom of God that's come near you that the captivity of the things of this world are coming to an end because of Jesus Christ, that we could be set free from all of the weight and all of the junk and all the stuff that just weighs us down. Maybe, maybe we could say it this way, that with Jesus Christ, there is a new exodus that has begun, a new freedom that has begun. And he's calling us as the church to walk in that freedom and we're to go and call others and offer that same freedom to them. And, you know, Jesus, he's in touch with reality. He knows not everybody's going to accept it. He knows not everybody's going to buy into it, engage it, embrace it. And that's okay. And, and it is. It's okay. He, he tells them, you know, if you come into a town and you're not welcome, you know, just kick the dirt off and say, you know, I think kicking the dirt off was kind of one of these, I don't know, back in the Hebrew time. But, but but it, you know, and and, and move on. And just move on. When somebody is willing to take you in as a stranger and you would humble yourself and show that you need them and come alongside them and live alongside them. And remember when I said, allow them to ask the questions before you give them your Pat Christianese answers. Allow them to trust you. Bring them a goat. and You know, whatever that goat looks like, And have dialogue, conversation, and listen, and hear, and don't judge, and don't look down upon, and don't think that you have all the answers. Don't think you're Jesus. Do not think you are the Messiah. Christ is. I don't believe Luke is interested in trying to outline a correct model for being church. I don't think Luke is interested in trying to figure out how to grow a church. I believe what Luke is interested in is the continuing story of Jesus Christ. And he sends out these 72 people so that they could announce something that everyone has been longing for. Meaning and purpose and that something more... Each person has been given eternity in their hearts. And we have the message. We can introduce them to that thing that can begin to fill the longing and the want and the desire. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. I see in this story that the needs of the church become very secondary to God's redemptive mission in the world. the role I, I believe the role of church is this, is that we are to create a people um, around the presence of God that is among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so first we, we worship. And I don't mean just sing songs worship, but, but our lives and the way we live our lives, we worship. And that points us, that points us into the mystery of God, that points us into the otherness of God, and it points us into the amazing truth that God pours out grace and mercy upon us and forgiveness through Christ. And then we are to practice. We are to live the Christian life. To go out and actually live these things. This has to be the center of who we are. He and... and You know... <laughs> God has left the building, and he calls his church to follow him out into that world. Out into that world. And I don't mean that he's no longer here, but, when, but, but God, God is calling his church out there to be with those people. Those broken people, the hurt people, even the healthy people the people who seem to have it all together. You know, I know a lot of people who have it together and want nothing to do with Christ. It's hard to tell someone, you need Jesus. I do. I got six-figure income, six figures in the bank, got a good job, healthy kids, good kids, wife's healthy, got a nice house, got two cars in the garage, got some toys in the garage too. I even got a Harley Davidson dentist. What do you got? nan nan, nah, nah, nah. I mean, I know people like that. And so unless you come alongside them and get to know them and have conversations with them, allowing them to trust you, that you would go in humbly as a stranger in need of them, it has to be the center of who we are. And God is calling us out of this building. And to leave our baggage behind, leave the baggage of our uptightness and our self-righteousness, leave the baggage of our selfishness and our religiosity, and just travel light as strangers, in need, in need to receive hospitality and humbleness from the very people that we thought actually needed us. That's what I see in this story. And then, when we have this relationship with them, bring them peace. Peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We offer them healing, physical, emotional, spiritual. Friend, healing, and we proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. We give them Jesus. If we can understand that, if we can understand that, missions doesn't become another program at our church. Mission becomes who we are as a people of God. Lord, there's so much um, so much we don't understand. Pray that you'd help us to understand. There's so much that sometimes we want to do and we just don't do it. Pray that you'd help us to do it. Lord, there's so many things that we do not allow ourselves to receive from you. I pray that we would just. Receive. That we would receive your grace. That we would receive mercy. Man, I'll tell you, some of you need to receive the Lord's forgiveness this morning. Actually not receive it, except what you've already been given through Jesus Christ. Let go. Let go of that that you've been holding on to. Arrogant for you to hold on to something that the Lord has already forgiven you for. Lord, I pray that we would receive, receive forgiveness. pray that you would help us recognize that the Holy Spirit of God lives in the follower of Christ. You have given us authority, strength. I pray that I know that we want to be humble that you would teach us humility Lord I pray that every day we would walk deeper and more intimate with you pray this in the name of Jesus Amen. 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 All right. I love you guys. God willing, if the crick don't rise, I'll see you next week.